Well, uh, today's an easy one. If you're going to follow along in your Bible, you don't have to know anything about the Bible to follow along in your Bible because we're going to start in Genesis chapter one. That's that's where we're at. So, uh, if you if you have a Bible and you get to page one or two or so, you've made it. Like you you have you have successfully made it. Uh, I would like like to ask you if you could to rewind uh, your clock a little bit. If you were alive in 2003, just kind of rewind back to that. Especially if you grew up in this community uh, in Mid County here. Uh, if you rewind to 2003, just to kind of set the stage, um, this is kind of the beginning of the Iraq-Afghanistan war. Um, all over the news was uh, kind of post-9-11. It was just two years old at that point. So post-9-11, uh, watch out for terrorism. We're on the hunt. We're stopping terrorists. And every so often, about once a week in our community, you probably remember this, we would get a report about how Mid-County uh, or Port Arthur or whatever, something local, is number six on the terrorist watch list or something like that. It was always like a high number, like in the top five places in the country to, uh, to, to try to strategically attack. We're somewhere in the top five, top 10. Uh, and I remember watching that. I'm, a, I'm in 2003, I'm a senior in high school. Uh, and one night, uh, something happens. Now, I later tell this story that I'm about to tell you now. I later tell this story to the first church that I served at. A few years later, uh, I'm serving in Dallas. There's a youth group, and uh, I'm learning in Dallas. It's a different culture than, than Mid-County, and I've been doing what I could to learn their culture, and now they're asking me questions about, hey, what's it like growing up around Beaumont? What's it like growing up in Nederland? Uh, and I would tell them this story that I'm about to tell you, and it was just, it was mind-boggling to them, okay? And so uh, in 2003, one evening, uh, this is during the time when cell phones, like you had to pay per minute to talk, right? Uh, but it's after 9 p.m. And so it becomes what? It becomes free. That's right. All the teenagers are like, what are you talking about? We used to pay per minute to talk to our girlfriends. And so I'm talking to my then girlfriend, now wife on the phone after nine o'clock. So it's free. I have all the money all the time in the world. And uh, about uh, five minutes after we get off the phone, I feel like it's close to midnight, something like that. Uh, it's night outside. It's dark. And I feel a rumble in the house. Like, a, I don't want to say earthquake. That's too dramatic. But something like houses don't move, you know, and so the, the house is shaking and I open my eyes and it doesn't look like nighttime anymore. It looks like daytime. All of a sudden it's daytime. And I thought, my gosh, that was the fastest nap ever. I, th I think I've woken up. And so I go to the window and I open the window and I'm, uh, I'm trying to be as honest as possible. I'm not trying to embellish the story, but the way that I remember it was literally a mushroom cloud going up into the sky. It is very obviously an explosion near or in Nederland, Texas. And my mind races. I'm, I'm a senior in high school. We're in the top 10 of terrorist attacks, I think this must be it. This is, this is the terrorist attack. This is what's going to happen. Uh, and so I get in my car. There's people leaving town. I don't know if you remember this. Uh, pe some people evacuated. Some people got on the roof to watch it because this is Southeast Texas and that's what we do. Uh, and, and everybody scattered. Uh, later the next day, we find out on the news that there was an explosion at the Sunoco uh, refinery plant. Uh, and and uh, I think there was an injury. I'm not sure exactly the, the details but it wasn't a terrorist attack is the, is the takeaway. And uh, then, then, you know, it never made the news. I remember watching like CNN, like, okay, terrorist attack. It's going to make the news. It never made the newspapers. I don't remember ever seeing that. And, and that was kind of the end of the story. Everybody gets back to school. And so fast forward a year or two, I'm telling somebody the story in Dallas. And I explained to him, like, it was night, and then it looked like day. And I said, it looked like a mushroom cloud in the sky. The, the house was shaking. But it turns out it wasn't a terrorist attack. It's fine. It was just a plant explosion. And they're like, oh, Wow. 
Okay, and, and I was like, well, that's, that's the end of the, the, the story. And this mom, this mom who had walked in halfway through the story, she's, she's like, she's, she's all into the story. And I'm like, what is it? Her name was Carrie. He's like, Carrie, what is it? She goes, right, but, and then? It's like, there's no end then. Like, it wasn't what I thought it was. It was, it was nothing. She goes, no, 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 no. What kind of plants explode? I have plants against my house. She was so, she was so worked up. Like, like it, it, was, it was tight in her chest that, that, that there's a plant that can explode that causes this big mushroom cloud. What had happened is that she wasn't there at the beginning of the story. She walked in as I'm halfway through. It was like a 30-minute telling of all the things in high school. And she's walked in at halfway through the story. And she's just picking up bits and pieces. And she gets the end result of the story. And everybody else kind of got it. It's like, oh, it was just a big refinery explosion. But because I interchanged the word refinery for plant somewhere in the story, she couldn't keep up. Like in her head, the azalea bushes are attacking. And we need to know, like, am I, am I unearthing these things soon? What, what happened to her and what happens to us oftentimes is that we walk in in the middle of a story, in the middle of an account of a thing, and we kind of get the gist of it. If we hear it enough, we hear the repetitions enough, we get the middle parts of the story. We can nail down the middle parts of the story, but maybe like her, we miss one of those first key ingredients. We didn't get first things first, and now the story like it sort of makes sense, but in her head, plants are exploding. What I'm trying to tell her is it wasn't a terrorist attack. Um, what we need to be careful to do is that as we understand our faith, as we understand scripture, that we get, yes, we get Christmas right and we get Easter right. We understand the middle parts of the story. We understand the cross. We understand who Jesus was and the disciples. We understand the book of Acts. But if we don't get first things first, we might miss some key elements of the story. And so what I want to do today is I want to begin a series called First Things First, and I want to take a look at Genesis, specifically just the first part of Genesis. I want to spend about six weeks uh, moving from creation, which is what we're going to do today, and we'll end around Christmas time with Abraham. So be prepared for some Abrahamic Christmas stories. Uh, I don't know how those two things are going to overlap yet, but uh, we're going to end with Abraham. Because if we can get the first things first, if we understand how Scripture and the story begins— it informs our faith. It informs our worship. It informs our trust in the Lord who is always in control. When the world looks like it's in chaos, we know that he's in control. So if you have your Bible open, uh, or if you don't, just like open the cover and you're in Genesis 1. You, you have made it to Genesis 1. Uh, I want to begin in verse 1. We're going to work our way through, but let me set up uh, who wrote this and why and, and that sort of stuff. Uh, it doesn't say at the beginning, like uh, the author of Genesis is, but, but we know uh, just from, from context clues and, and, and throughout uh, that it is written by Moses. Uh, you may know Moses. Moses is the let my people go. He's the, uh, he, he, he talked to Pharaoh. He removed the people. And so uh, what we need to remember, and uh, I don't know when this occurred to me, but the first time I read Genesis, I had it in my head that like there's some third person in the garden like writing down notes, and then God said this, and then Adam hid behind the tree. And then, but, but that's not really how it would have happened. So if Moses is the author of Genesis, he's writing this after Exodus. Most people think that uh, when he's going up and down Mount Sinai, you know, when he goes and gets the tablets with the, with the Ten Commandments, uh, he spends 40 days up on this mountain. What does he do for 40 days? It's like a big mystery. He only comes down with Ten Commandments, right? 
Well, most likely, what most people feel like is that he's up there talking to God, and God's like, let me tell you how things started out. And he explains to them the story. He explains to them uh, who Adam and Eve are. He explains to them who Abraham was. And, and I'm sure Moses has some, uh, um, uh, there, there's some history being shared verbally in the community, like, okay, we're, we're descendants of Abraham, but God on the mountain is most likely giving him very specific details because God is a first-person witness of how things began. And so what we have is the book of Genesis written by Moses, written during the time of the Exodus to the group of people that are being freed from slavery. That's the first audience. And they're hearing for the first time with great specificity who they are, who their God is, whose image they were made in, and why he felt the need to rescue them. And so Genesis is this um, it's a beginnings story, but it's also like a foundational story. If you're that people group, you read Genesis and you're like, oh, wow. Okay. Like God, God was on top of it the whole time. This whole 400 years in slavery wasn't an accident that looked like chaos to me, but I see that God is in control. The reason why this matters to you more than just the historical perspective is because our faith is built upon the promises that God made to Adam and Eve. Our faith is built upon the promises that God made to Abraham. God has been making promises since the beginning, and he is batting a thousand in completing these promises. They're coming to fruition. So when we see uh, how the beginning of the story laid its foundation, then it informs not only how we worship our Lord Jesus, But whenever you enter into a season of chaos, when the world doesn't look like it makes any sense at all to you, when everything around you looks like this is an accident and I'm not meant for this, I'm ready to give up, then we remember that he's a God who takes chaos and makes it back into order. He is a God of order. So if you would uh, read with me, uh, beginning in verse 1. It says, In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. So first of all, beginning of time. So we have time here. In the beginning, God already was. Uh, just a quick theological point. Uh, God exists outside of time. He created time. He is what the, the Tencent word would be was preeminent. He is preexistent. In the beginning, God created. There's energy. There's the energy of creation. And then he created the heavens and the earth. There's matter. We have time, space, and matter all in the first sentence of the Bible. Everything that we know of our uh, existence is in the first sentence of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. A couple of thoughts real quick. Uh, now we have a second character. We have the Spirit of God. If you have been around church for a long time, you know the word Trinity. You've heard that God is a Trinity. If you've not heard that yet, um, what we believe we see throughout all of Scripture is that God reveals himself in three persons. There is one God, but there is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the first two verses of Genesis, you have God and you have God's Spirit already being introduced. In the, it says the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. There, there are countless books. There are centuries of authors trying to unpack verses one and two of Genesis. Okay. So I'm not going to try to explain all the different viewpoints, but if you're super interested in that, come talk to me later and we'll, we'll look at it. There are some people who think that, uh, verse one is like a global statement and the verse two is kind of zeroing in on a more specific time. There are some people who believe it's, this one's called the gap theory that between 
between verses 1 and verses 2 are this untold period of time, like eons and billions of years could have existed between verse 1 and verse 2. Uh, I'm just going to tell you, uh, one, that's not my job today to try to answer all of that, and two, for the sake of most conversations, it honestly doesn't matter. Okay, uh, What we see, though, is that there is chaos. What we see is that it's formless and it's void. What we see is that God sees the chaos. He's hovering over the chaos waters. And so what does he do? What does our God do? What is it in his nature to do just as he looks at voidness? Uh, anybody in here uh, an artist or fancy themselves an artist? You create things, create music, anybody? Anybody create sculptures? Nobody wants to own that? All of our artisans are shy. I know for a fact we have like half of you that you create things. Maybe you're at work and you have to create policies and procedures. And you have to creatively figure out uh, how to solve a problem that, that exists. You see the problem in front of you and you're tasked with, 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 with an infinite number of possibilities. You're tasked with, okay, what are we going to do about that? What we see is at the very beginning, before anything was... God invented ideas like light and order out of, out of nothing. There's no example that he's basing it on. It's like, there's not some other God next door. He's like, Hey, brother, I created this thing called light. You ought to try it out. Okay. There's, there's none of that. It, it is just God in formless and voidness. And then he begins creating off of the top of his head. His ability to create, creatively create, to, to solve for things that have never existed before is fascinating. If you are a creator, you are partnering with God in bringing order into chaos. Verse 3, we're now into day one, firmly into day one. It says, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. Yeah, I, I love I love how simple that is. There's not a, a huge flex from God. It's not like, and then God went to the factory for six weeks to invent light. Let, God said, let there be light, and light just obeyed. Like, like out of nothing, light never existed, and then it did. And as a parent, I wish I could have that, like, let the house be clean, and the kids are just like, yes, sir, and they do it. No, like it takes a lot of work to make things happen that don't exist. And God says, let there be light, and light just doesn't have a choice but to obey. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. There's so many oddities in this. God creates light. Hey, say, I've got this idea. Let there be light. Light lives. God looks at light and says, ah, that's good. Based on what? Based on what does God point at light and say it's good? Because when we say something is good, we, we look at it it's like, okay, well, that works for my situation. We say that that's good. Uh, we say it's good based on like, there's a way that the world should be based on what I know of the laws of physics and order and the way that, that uh, that's good. When you solve a math problem, two plus two equals four, and you're like, oh, that's good. But what if you invented that? You're the first person to invent two plus four, two equals four. And you're just like, I like the way that feels. That is good. What we see is that God, when he says that light is good, when he says any of these things are good, each day he pauses and he sits back at his work. It went from formless and void. He was hovering over the chaos waters. He says, let there be light. Oh, that's good. I'm going to go take a nap. He, like, he, he's just done. He, he's so satisfied. If you've ever created a thing, I, I know that, that like, I'll, I'll be working on a thing and, and I'm done. I'm like, ah, I just need, I need, I need another 30 minutes on it. Okay. And then I'll get back to it and I'll work. And then okay, I'll come back. I'm never actually, honestly, in anything I've ever created, I'm never satisfied with the end product. Yet God is. He finishes light. He's like, mm, I really like what I did there. 
That's good. Okay. And then it was evening and morning, and you know, we, um, I'm going to go for the next day. Day two, and God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made, that word made is uh, like formed or fashioned. So God's like, mm, I'm going I'm to build something with my hands here. God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under uh, the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, or another word for that is sky right there. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. So day one, God says, let there be light. I want to see what I'm doing. Okay, all right, there's light. Okay, I'm going to take all this water, all this chaos waters, and I'm going to form a gap between them. The, the, the Hebrew mind right here, they're envisioning a world in which there's waters underneath. There's some kind of a gap that we're calling an expanse right here. And then there's waters above that. Okay, and so uh, we would look at that now, and maybe we're thinking of like clouds or atmosphere and ozone. Um, they would look at that, especially if they read just a few more chapters, when you get to Noah's flood, where did all the waters come from? It's the, it's the upper waters have now broken through that God, God uses. So God says, let there be an expanse between the waters, and he just forms the sky. There's never, there's never been a sky. And God's just like, oh, yeah, blue. We're going to go with blue. I have all the colors of the rainbow to choose from. I, I made light first. What am I going to make uh, in the expanse? I'm going to make blueness. I'm going to make it look good. Every day of creation, what we see is that, that God, he, he does a thing, and then that thing informs the next thing, and then that thing informs the next thing. He is a God that takes chaos and makes it order. He takes things that are ugly and nonsensical and have no purpose and have no meaning, like just the voids and formlessness of the earth. He's like, I'm going to make it light. I'm going to, I'm going to separate the light from the dark. And like, Phew. All right, dark, you stay over here. Light, you stay over here. I've got all this water just doing whatever it wants. Okay, I'm going to separate these waters. And you, you stay here and you stay there. And then he sits back. He's like, mm, that's good. That's good. Day three, verse nine. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth or, or dirt. Uh, and uh, the waters uh, that were gathered together, he called seas, and God saw that it was good. So I've got all these underwaters, and they're just like there's nothing there. So I'm going to push these waters together. I'm going to raise up some land. I'm going to I'm going to do a thing. I'm going to I'm going to oh, have dry land. That's good. I like I like that. Uh, have you ever taken a kid to the science museum? And by the, I mean just any science museum uh, in the land. They seem to all have the same thing. Uh, it, I, as an adult, I'm 37 years old. If I go to the kid's science museum, I will find this thing and I will play with it for like 30 minutes, okay? It is a sandbox. And uh, the box is yay big. There's just random sand there. And there's like a projector projecting on top of it. And if you go into it, if you hold your hand in a spot, it forms water. It's just like it, uh, it projects water onto it. And so you can make it rain on the mountain, right? If you want to make a pond, you just dig a little hole over here. And you just make it rain in the pond. You just sit there like, yeah. Yeah, I'm flooding the whole land. If I had like a little army man, I kid you not, I'm almost 40 years old. I'd be in it. Like I'd dig a trench. I'd fill it full of water. It's so much fun. And and in the science museum, this is how I envision God. He's just, he's like, it's just a blank slate. He's like, okay, I'm going to, I need a mountain. They'll call that Everest later and we'll form that up. And then, okay, I'm going to put the waters where they want. I'm going to gather them. They're the seas. And he continues on day three. He says, And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. 
And it was so. The, the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. He, he, on this day, on this third day, he separates the waters from the land. He's like, ah, the land's just a bunch of dirt. Let's make a thing called vegetation. Have you ever stopped to think about how weird plants are? One day I'm in a boat, uh, I'm fishing and I'm just, I'm not catching anything. So my mind's wandering and I'm looking around and it occurs to me that like, I don't know what any scientists say, like the source or the, the beginning of plant life came from, you know, like, like you guys have seen like evolutionists, okay, so, so animal life came from the pre-mortal ooze and like a fish crawled out and crawled on land and grew lungs. But then they point at trees and they say, that's alive too. At what point did a tree crawl out of the ocean? Like you have a little blade of grass. I don't understand where plant life comes from. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. There was a time where there's no such thing as greenery. There's nothing with a leaf. There's no such thing as a plant with a seed. Uh, anybody like a carrot never existed before this moment. And God just looks at this blank slate and says, let there be vegetation. Let the vegetation have seeds. And the seeds, get this, this is going to blow your mind. The seed of that plant makes another plant exactly like the plant that it came from. None of this like random kale. Like you get a broccoli seed and like a tree comes out of it. No, no, none of that. We're not playing that game. Cantaloupes come from cantaloupes, apples from apples. And God says on day three, that's how I want things to work. I want things to be predictable. I want them to have order. And, and it does. Let, let, let the plants grow and yield seed according to its own kind. And the plants are like, okay, God, I'll do that. And then you get all the vegetation. He fills the planet. So we have days one, two, and three under our hat. Um, I want you to consider how this worked out. God created light. We have energy. The basis of all of our knowledge of physics and physical law is, is based around light and the meaning, or, or excuse me, the speed of light and how, how that math works out. And then you have all these waters and he separates them and he puts them where they go. And we exist on land because there's land. And now that the land is there, he creates the plants to, to cover the land. He is creating purpose and container and then filling the container and then purpose and container and filling the container. Here, before I get to the rest of the days, just consider like what this pattern looks like in your life. There is chaos first and then God instructs purpose. And then that purpose, he creates opportunity, and then he fills that opportunity with the things that create the thing that he wants. What's going to fill the earth so far? The plants that he created. I wonder, uh, it, just taking the first three days of creation and looking at your life right now, as, as it is, what in the last six months has been the most chaotic thing you've ever thought of? You've ever experienced the stress of that moment? Is it, is it true that if God's pattern continues, that you apply that, that to your situation, that, that he's, he's speaking order over that chaos, and then he places the things in that situation to accomplish the goals that he has. Maybe it's true that the reason that you are aware of that chaos and the reason that, that you have a pain about that chaos is because God is inviting you to participate in this same pattern, uh, that you would be the one that brings order. Let's keep going. Uh, we're down in verse 14. We're now in day four. And God said... 
Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth, and it was so. And God made, that word is formed or fashioned again, God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, that would be the sun, and the lesser light to rule the night, the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens or in the sky uh, to give light on the earth to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was, what do you say? It's good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. On the fourth day, he's already created light, but now he creates the containers for the light. There's a sun, there's a moon, there's stars. And he gives these containers, these objects of light, the sources of light, he gives them purpose. They are to help us mark days and months and seasons. Have you ever considered... Uh, like all of, all of like our ancient ancestors that are like sailing the seven seas and they're like, I need the North Star to know. What if, what if, based on Genesis chapter one, the fact that the stars are helping them navigate the planet wasn't an accident? What if God put them there so that they would know, oh, winter is coming. I need to prepare for a thing. It is weird and it is worth meditating on that day one, God creates light. And then day four, God creates a sun and stars. What, what was holding the, the light? That's, that's a question for another day. Let's keep going. I'm going to run out of time just talking about the days. Day five. And God said, now let's get back to these waters. We had these waters on day two. What are we going to fill these waters with? And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So, God created. Now, now he's, it's not just with his words anymore. He's now with his hands. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. He's like, yes, I like this. I like this. Any, any, any fishermen out here? Yeah, God, God's a big fan. He put fish in the water. He's like, ooh, I like that. That's good. Have you ever been where, like, you use the word swarms right here. There's a, there's a spot off of Sarah Jane Road I was driving by, and the water was just swarming with, with like, uh, uh, reds, and then alligators started popping up. I was like, this is amazing. I went and grabbed a fishing pole, caught nothing, but it was so exciting to see, like, just swarms of fish just, just hitting the water. And God's like, you know what? I'm going to make swarms, and I'm going to make fish multiply. And he sits back. He's like, ah, oh, that's good. It's good. There's birds and duck hunters in here. He's like, I like that. I can call that a seagull. And, and he just creates this and they multiply. But then God does something he has not yet done. Is that he blesses the thing that he creates. Pay attention to that because it matters when he gets down to us. Verse 22, and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters of the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. In the first five days so far, we've got all the way to plant life. We've got some fish in the waters. We've got some birds in the sky. And every day God finishes with a thing that's never been. And he looks at it, he's like, that's good. That's real good. On the last day that we just finished, day five, he finishes with the birds and the fish and he blesses them saying, "Here, it's like a command that he gives them. But to bless them with a command is to say like, this is the thing that's going to give you joy. Go and just fill the waters, fill the skies with whatever you want. A bunch of birds, a bunch of fish. And so verse 24, we're into day six. It says, And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. 
In verse 25, and God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. He's now on day six and we're getting goats and hogs. I don't know, a deer or two probably mixed up in this. And he's like, yeah, you guys go, go, go fill the earth. This is good. He finishes like, this is good. And then something pops in God's head. All of this has just been, I want to make stuff that's never been based on nothing else that's ever been. Think of the weird animals in this world. Like, you know, duckbill platypuses were right here in this verse. Like, nothing has ever existed. I'm going to take a half beaver and a duck. Wham! All right. We made a thing that's never existed. It's just bizarre looking, right? Everything that God has made all the way through, halfway through day five, is just like based on whatever makes him happy. And he finishes and he says it's good. But then when he gets to us, mankind has not been mentioned yet. He does something completely different with us. Verse 26, then God said, let us, plural, make man in our image after our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is the basis for every level of Christian ethics in this world. When, when we say that we don't want you to murder someone, it's not just because it's mean. It's because that other person is an image bearer of God. They were made in the likeness of God. Bears were not made in the likeness of God. Uh, whales, orca whales were not made in the likeness of God. Do I need to change mics? Uh, give me a signal if I do. Uh, the, the fish, the birds. Uh, have you ever seen a, uh, like a, uh, an emu? I don't know if that's a bird or a, a goat. I don't know what an emu is exactly, uh, but they're terrifying looking and they will attack you. Wasn't made in the image of God. Only one creation in all the created order was made in the image of God. And that's you and me. That's humankind. This is where, uh, uh, the basis of, of, of dignity, the basis of treating people with, with just basic levels of dignity and not just throwing money at problems. Just like, let me hear your problem. Let me see. How can I help you? When you enter into someone's world and they're in chaos and you're like, I want to bring order to that chaos. We don't dismiss them because they have a problem. Why? Because at the very beginning of all time, when the purpose and meaning of things were set, that human being was made in the image of God. Um, there's a lot to be said about the image of God. We'll talk more about it next week. But at the very basic level, we see that let us create uh, man in our image after our likeness and give them dominion over the fish. Our job as mankind is to rule over all the creation that God has already placed in front of us. All those birds, all those fish, all the land, all the, all this, we're to rule in his image. Um, uh, I'm, I don't have time to do everything I was going to do today. If if uh, if you had to think of another thing in the Bible uh, that is made in the image of a God, uh, what word comes to mind? Can you think of anything that comes to mind? What is it? 
Idol, yes, yes, that is the exact answer. A few months ago, we were in, we're looking at the story of David, and uh, they took the Ark of God, which wasn't really made in the image of God, it was just something that like was God's thing, right? And they took it into a temple, and the idol in that temple, Dagon, is like crippled as a result of it. The idol in that temple is like bowing down at God's box and God's things, and it's this big moment. We, we have a commandment in the Ten Commandments not to ever make idols, right? It turns out, one of the reasons, one of the understandings for that is that God has already fashioned something in this world that is made in his image. He doesn't need us to carve a totem pole in his image. He doesn't need us to go get gold and like, I think, I think the goat, the, the bull is in the image of God. He doesn't need that. God's provided a representative on this planet already that's already made in his image. And to make an idol is to give up our spot on the throne, the dominion over the land. We are already made in the image of God, you and I. No matter what you feel, or even if you feel far from God, or what your thoughts are on God, you're already made in the image of God, and we're to represent him. So we'll keep going. Uh, I'm, I'm going to, uh, verse uh, 28, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Now, not only have dominion over it, uh, but subdue it. Even in these first words, we're hearing that there's going to be a problem. Something breaks in the world. So you don't subdue, subdue things that are like, hey, I'll do whatever you want, right? You have to subdue things that are fighting against you. Subdue creation and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, he doesn't say it was good anymore. He said it was very good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. The Hebrew word for good is tov, T-O-V, tov. So he said on day one, he liked, oh, it's tov. Day two, the, the water separated, it was tov, tov. Day three, tov, day four. But then he gets to very good. The, the Hebrew word for very is ma'od. And if you were here a few weeks ago, and that's the same word for strength. That's the same word for muchness, remember? We were to love the Lord our God with our strength. We're to love the Lord our God with our ma'od. He gets to day six, and he finishes creating humankind. He finishes creating something in his own image. And he says, it is very good. It is muchness good. It is, it is with strength with, with the ability to exert itself and have dominion, it is very, very good. Uh, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read John chapter 1, but I, I will give you this as just a piece of homework. Um, go read John chapter 1, because John retells the beginnings of the stories, and he tells us what Jesus was doing this whole time, that, that he was in the beginning, and that everything that was created was made through him. What, what I want us to gather from this as a, a takeaway is that we are talking about a God throughout all of Scripture, the Alpha and the Omega, all, all of this. We're talking about a God that chases after chaos and makes it beautiful. Chases after disorder, makes it beautiful. Chases after pointless, purposeless things and gives it purpose and gives it meaning. He assigns it what it's going to do. And if you have in you a, a feeling or a sense that, that you, you are meaningless, that you've lost all purpose, and God has nothing to do with you, that betrays the very nature of God that we see in Genesis 1. He is a God that would pursue you and chase you in your purposelessness, and then he will assign you a purpose. 
There's a song uh, by uh, uh, the band called Gunger. Uh, when, when, uh, if, if you don't know the story of us getting this building, CW getting this building, we should talk. It's a great story, but, but we were gifted this building, and one day we came in before we were ready to have Sunday worship in here, and we are like working all that day, and then we had our first moment of worship on, I think it was a Wednesday night in this room right here. We had, we had lyrics on the screen. We had, we had the song playing. And one of the songs that we played was by a band called Gunger. Uh, it's called Beautiful Things. I was reminded of it at a uh, Young Life event recently. It's a beautiful song about this God who takes the ordinary, ugly, pointless things and makes it beautiful. Listen to some of these lyrics. It says, all this pain, I wonder if I'll ever find my way. I wonder if my life could really change at all. All this earth, could all that is lost ever be found? Could a garden come up from this ground at all? You make beautiful things. You make beautiful things out of the dust. You make beautiful things out of us. All around, hope is springing up from this old ground. Out of chaos, life is being found in you. You make me new. You are making me new. You make beautiful things. You make beautiful things out of the dust. You make beautiful things out of us. This, this author is taking the creation narrative that we just looked at, and he's saying, if you have that power, God, to just invent light when there was no light, maybe you have the power to turn this relationship around. Maybe, maybe you have enough power left to save my marriage. If we're, if we're going to get this right, if we're going to understand this book, we have to get first things first. Our God is a masterful artisan that pursues the chaos. He pursues all of this. And then he takes uh, all these pointless things that are unimaginable, and he makes it very good. Regardless of how you feel, the Lord says this about you and your kind, humankind, that when he was done with it, he was very pleased with what he made. And his purpose for you is that you would live in a state of very goodness, in tov ma'od, and you would find peace, and you would find your purpose. You'd have dominion over all the things that are coming up against you. Next week, we're going to see what broke, what changed that, why we have such struggles in this world. If, if this is where good comes from, next week we want to look at where evil comes from, but let's just leave it at that. In the created order, uh, it is very good. And he is a God of order and beauty. Let me pray for you, and then we will be dismissed. Father, uh, we come to you um, looking at just the first things and how you've created uh, our existence. Lord, help us us to see again afresh that um, you're powerful, that you were creative, that you were good, and that when you were finished with us, you you weren't displeased, you weren't upset. You said it was very good. Help us to see the very good in this world. Help us to bring to you all of our chaos, all of our disorder, all of our pointlessness, all of our purposelessness. Hand it over to you and in return get order and get the very good. Help us, help us to see that and to live that out in this world. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.